We're in John chapter 9. So turn to John chapter 9 and I'm going to pray before we jump into this chapter. Father, as we again look at the accounts left for us on the things that you did and said, Lord, we desire those words to resonate with us and to speak clearly in our lives today, just as you did all those years ago. And so we set aside time, Lord, to allow the importance of your words to have place in our lives. And so may our hearts be open, may our minds be attentive, may I be able to adequately present some of these things, the truths that are here. And may we leave this place refreshed because of what we've learned about you. And we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, before Thanksgiving, can you believe Thanksgiving was like a week ago? Almost crazy, huh? So, a couple of weeks ago, chapter 8, we left with this incredible statement that Jesus made, the great I am, where he said, before Abraham was, I am. There was an intense dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees that led to this declaration that also led to them picking up stones to try and kill him. And so with that dynamic in mind, we're understanding that the tension is increasing. The intensity of conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees is increasing, that they are more and more out to get him to kill him because of what he represents. And so having that in mind as we continue through this gospel is important because chapter 8 was kind of a pinnacle that we hit. And at this point, the declaration was made. And so from this point on, we're going to see continued momentum in trying to kill Jesus by the Pharisees. We are also going to remember that John, throughout this book, this gospel, is wanting to make known the glory of God revealed in Jesus. And so when we see the terms, the glory of God, know that that's what he's referring to, is God manifesting himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And and I'm going to start this chapter actually at the very end. So turn to verse 39. Because this is kind of the culmination of everything that takes place before, and I think we can miss that if we, because we get so caught up with the dialogue that's taking place. But in verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So keep that in mind because that's where we're heading. We're going to read through the entire chapter, and that's why I didn't want to do it last week as we shortened the 
the time that we had together because this whole chapter has to be digested together. If we just talk about part of it, we're missing the whole point of the chapter, and it just doesn't do justice. Yeah, we could talk about a miracle. Yeah, we could talk about this, but all this that's happening is pointing to that sentence that Jesus we just read. And so verse 1, let's read through this together. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. That he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. Now, then, where were your eyes open? Then, how then were your eyes open? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath, of course. Jesus couldn't heal on Sunday, had to do it on Saturday. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is, was why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? 
Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. An incredible story and just an emotionally riveting one that just draws us in as we see this man who was born blind. And this is the only person in the Gospels that we see that was actually born blind. In Acts, there are a couple of people who had ailments from their birth, but this is one person in the Gospel who they say was born blind. And as the disciples say in verse 1, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, there's some implication that they knew from the birth that this guy was blind. They didn't know at what, you know, or how they knew it, we don't know. They just, this guy was pretty well known. And so they say, hey, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And so there was a recognition. And as we've read this, before I jump in and start talking, are there any things that stand out to you that you have questions about in this chapter? And we'll try and make sure we touch on those things. Otherwise, I got lots of questions and I'll go through them. That is one of the conflicts that they have at the end. Any other thoughts or, or questions in this? Well, then let's start with the first one that they asked. Who sinned or this man's parents that he was born blind? A common thought at that time when a person had some kind of infirmity was that there was some type of prenatal sin that in the mind of the baby, perhaps, that this you know baby had sinned in some way, or that the parents, because of their sin, uh, that was passed down to the parents or through the parents, and they would use Exodus chapter 20 and 34 that talks about the sins would go to the children and to the children's children, and so they thought that this must mean that you know there was something done that caused this. And, and the whole reason, they think, is they're trying to explain away some kind of infirmity. Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? 
And that's a question that I think still arises today. We want to know what happened. Why is this happened? Why did this person get cancer and not this person? And more specifically in this case, here's a child and they're born with an infirmity. Why? What is going on? Is, and they assumed theologically that it must be because of someone sinning against God and this is God's judgment. But Jesus doesn't go there. Jesus says, no, that's not the case. It was neither this man nor his parents that sinned. And then he says, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. For John, the miracles were always a sign of the glory of God, even like you mentioned, Pat, about Moses and the evidence that he heard from God were the things that God did through him. And so the sign that was going to happen through Jesus and the miraculous was evidence that God's glory was working in him. And so when he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but he, this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What do you think that means? Yeah, that's kind of implying some things, but it's not exposing or answering every question, at least not all the ones I have. But what do you think it's saying? What is he, he bringing about here? Okay, so he was he born just so Jesus could make him seen? Maybe. What do you think about that? Does that rub anyone the wrong way? <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, gosh, what about me? Was I, you know, born short for the glory of God? You know, what's with that? Why, why is this happening? There's an interesting passage in, in Acts 17 where Paul is in Athens and, and he's talking to the Greeks there in Athens. And in chapter 17, verse 24, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built with human hands. And he is not served by humans' hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed. Oops. I just lost it. I know my tablet skipped pages on me. Stop it. This is why I got to go back to written I'm in chapter 23. How did that happen? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I'm just supposed to change. So, back here. Oh, man. I'm skipping. Sorry about that. i got to do this a different way. Yep, that's no good. Okay. So, back to chapter 17. And we're at verse... 26. From one man he made all the nations that should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries and their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. And so Paul brings this thought here that God placed people at certain places and at certain times so that they could 
seek him or would seek him and reach out to find him. He's implying that God has placed people at times and places best suited for those people to come to a place where they could reach out and find God. So a person who is born in China at 1934, it was the best place and the best time for that person to have an encounter with the living God. That's what Paul is implying, which is pretty mind-boggling, that God would set times and places for people to be born so that they could actually find out who God is. And then you think about the Magi who saw the star and found the Messiah. And how could someone be born perhaps in Persia or Iran somewhere in the Middle East, and that be the perfect time for those people to be born to actually come into this encounter with the living God. And you see, Jesus doesn't shy away from the fact that this person was born blind and in a condition that's inflicted. In fact, he says, no, this person is here so that God might His glory might be displayed in him. What if every place that we are at is the proper place for God's glory to be displayed in our lives, no matter what the circumstances or conditions? What if a person uh, comes down with a, a fatal disease, cancer, or something like that, and you think, why, God, it's not fair? Well, what if this time and this circumstance can actually be an opportunity for God to be working in and through us, even though it is a tragic situation? Because we know from Romans chapter 8 and we know just from the story that's recorded in Scripture that man is in a fallen condition, that this world is a fallen place. Romans 8 says that the world is like in childbirth with these groanings, having these travails, just waiting for its redemption. And so all of creation is in turmoil because of the fall and the separation from us and God And now God is at work in every person and in every circumstance to bring us to a place where we could understand him and actually bring glory in our lives. It's kind of a mind-boggling thought. I, I don't fully understand it, but there's implications here that Jesus is saying this person is born so that God's glory can be revealed in him. So it wasn't just because there's sin in the world and it wasn't because, you know, his parents, you know, smoked crack, you know, or or did these things. It doesn't necessarily, although those things can lead to problems, right? But this is born because, or this person is born in this condition just so that God can be glorified in them. And I think it's an overwhelming but an incredibly powerful thought to think that God in every person's life and in every circumstance in our lives has the ability to work to bring his glory about in our lives. And so Jesus is saying, no, God's glory is going to be revealed in this person, a person who they thought at this time was born, conceived in sin. See, in their minds, the judgment of God was already resting on this man. 
That's why he was born in this way. Jesus says, no, he's born in this condition, and God is going to show his glory in this place. And so Jesus heals him, and the way he does it is very interesting. And he first starts off, he says, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him that sent me. Night is coming. And he's talking about the fact that he's going to be leaving, that he's going to be crucified and resurrected and ascending into heaven. And he's going to be leaving. And while he's in the world, he is the light of the world. And so he has to do these works again. John bringing about that through Jesus, the glory of God is manifested. And in verse six, he said he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now, that sounds gross, okay? And our time, I mean, it takes a lot of spit to make mud okay it's not just a little dirt and it's a little to make mud you have to use a lot of spit and so it's kind of like you know we think of it hygienically that's just not very good again at this time saliva was thought and written about in a lot of ways as having medicinal purposes it was something that people would think to use to develop ointments and things like that And so it was something that wasn't uncommon. And the fact that Jesus took some methods and customs of that time and used them, it was actually something that they would understand. Okay, It's something that engaged them. He's doing something to bring healing to me. So it wasn't just like we would think, what what are you doing? You know, you're spitting on, you're making, what what are you doing? They didn't think of that in that way. When he spit on the ground, and, you know, I'm like, did he, what did he do? You know, I mean, how did he do this? But when he spit on the ground and made the mud, the person wasn't like, what are you doing? Get away from me. He was understanding, okay, he's making mud, and it had a medicinal mindset in him. He would think, okay, he, he's doing something in that way. He was a, a wise physician, and, and he gained the confidence of the people that he was doing that. So it wasn't as strange to us are strange to them as it is to us. And, and then after he puts this mud on his eyes, he tells them to go away and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he goes and he washes and he comes home saying, just the enormity of that fact, a person born blind and now seeing for the first time. It's such an emotionally overwhelming thing and yet it's so little a part of the narrative here because of people unwilling to believe. And so what should be just the highlight of this passage and the focus should be what amazing thing happened to this man gets pushed off to the side and the Pharisees now have the stage. They're the ones who actually start to make, you know, the news here as they go to the pool of Siloam, which is a very well-known landmark. So he sends them to a place that's very populated, a lot of people there. It's going to be a big deal. Imagine this guy walking up to the pool. He's blind. Maybe someone's leading him. Maybe he's got a cane. Who knows? He gets to the pool and he gets the water and he washes his face and he can see for the first time. You know that's going to be a big deal. You know, there are people watching him. Hey, look at you know, Joe over there, he's got mud on his eyes. wonder what happened. 
I don't know. What's he doing? He's going to the pool. Hey, look at—he's watching because everyone knew this was the guy born blind. He washes his eyes. Now, what do you think he did after he washes his eyes? He goes, "Oh, that's cool. I can see." Um, you know, it had to be. Yeah, it had to be. Wah! You know, I mean, it had to be like. I, yeah, it'd be something crazy, and so everyone starts going, "Isn't that the guy? He was born blind." And he goes, "No, it's just someone who looks like him." And he goes, "No, it's me." It's me. I hear you talking. I see you talking. It's me. I was that guy. I was born blind. And so, of course, they ask him, how then were your eyes opened? They asked in verse 10. And then he replied, the man they call Jesus. Now, it's interesting because here he calls him the man. And we're going to see a progression that takes place in this blind man's heart. It's the man they call Jesus. He made some mud put it on my eyes, he told me to come here, wash, I did, and now I can see. Where is he? I don't know. He doesn't know what Jesus looks like. Where is he now? I don't know. I was blind, remember? Now I'm here, and now I can see, but I don't know where he is. And so immediately they brought him to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and now the joy gets sucked right out of this story. And and now what should be a time of celebration becomes an inquisition. And as he brought them, they make a, a deal that it was the Sabbath. The Sabbath was their religious day. And it was forbidden to heal on the Sabbath. And when I say heal, even in medical terms, um, if you needed medical attention... You couldn't give it unless your life was in danger. And if your life was in danger, they could save your life, but they couldn't help you get better on the Sabbath. That was their rules and restrictions. So they required a person to just do as little as possible to save their life, but not more. So if you broke your arm, sorry, you know, we'll just hold it like this. We'll set it tomorrow. I mean, that kind of thing. If a man's hand or foot was dislocated, they couldn't straighten it out. They could put some cold water on it to try and ease the swelling, but they couldn't do anything that was considered work. And so a man born blind, Jesus making mud was considered work. There's no danger to his life. Therefore, Jesus broke the law of God when he healed them. As foolish as that sounds to us, to them, it was how serious they took the words of God. When he said, don't work on the Sabbath, what does work mean? Well, we're going to find out. We're going we're gonna to go because we don't want to do anything that might look like work. And so they developed this pattern and this tradition And so when the guy says, hey, he put mud on my eyes and I washed him and now I can see, the Pharisees in verse 16 said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. The Pharisees here are perfectly revealing what humans do normally with religion. We reduce it to moral rules And then we use those rules to justify ourselves and to condemn others. They were taking rules and making them as clear as they wanted 
And they would use those rules to hold themselves in a higher regard. Well, I can keep these rules. You can't. I'm better than you. And now I will be your judge because you're not keeping the rules as we have written them out. And religion has always been used that way. Early church in history, the the monks, they would go off into a desert and they would search for a deeper relationship with God. And the result from that is that they created a new form of Christian Phariseeism. We've gone off. We've gotten holy with God. You guys are all polluted by the world, not us. And we start seeing this us versus them mentality. It's developed here and it's reinforced here. A similar situation occurred with the Puritans who wanted to purify Christianity. And so we're going to make all these rules. You have to find your relationship with God through these things. Do you realize that in the United States, there was a time where Christians were not allowed to play cards? Playing cards was considered very sinful. Why? Because people would gamble with cards. And so you can't do anything that is sinful. The same thing with going to the movies. Same thing with dancing. There are so many rules. No, if you're going to be right with God and we're going to make sure that we're as holy as we can be, so I am so holy, I don't go to the dances. I'm so holy, I don't go to the movie theater. I'm so holy, I don't play cards. And that was now used as a, how, how holy are you? Well, I don't do this, I don't do this. Well, you go to the movies? Oh, okay, you're no longer very holy. What was that movie rated? It was rated R? Oh my gosh, you're really not walking right with God. And so there becomes this, this is how we decide who's in and who's out, is by how you keep these rules. It happened again in fundamentalism. In the 1500s, we talked about that and the whole Reformation. The idea of fundamentalism is we're going to hold ourselves, we have to hold strictly to a certain way because that way is going to define who we are. And so when the Roman church was oppressing everyone, the fundamentalists come out of that and the Reformed churches start and then they start to be very strict as well, to anyone who's outside of their boundaries. And it happens throughout. You guys can probably think of it happening today. It would be naive to think that it can't happen to us, that we can't get to a place where we use the rules that we set to establish ourselves and to put others down. And that's where they started from. And I've been a follower of Christ for over 30 years now. And I've been involved with Christian ministry for quite a few years and and involved with pastors who are well-known. And because I was on staff with, you know, different people, I got to know things that were happening. And I would puzzle myself, this person, everyone just, man, thinks this guy is great, but I know this about him. And I would hear pastors talk about, you know, oh, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't get tattoos and you shouldn't go to concerts and dances. And then I would go to a concert with them and go see Paul McCartney at the Forum. And I thought, man, this is a great concert. And 
they had to keep it on the down low because they don't want people to know that they went to the show. And I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. In fact, when we came out of, this is when it was at the Forum, the Forum Center, because a friend of mine had a limo pick us up and take us there because he knew a guy who worked at a limo service, and we got to go in through the Forum Club, and we were coming out, and we're, you know, there's all these famous people there, and then there's us. And we're coming out of the Forum Club. People are waiting to see who's coming out of the Forum Club, you know, at this concert. And there we are, and there was someone from his church that took a picture of him coming out of the Forum Club. And he was so concerned, he went out and told the person, hey, you know, I didn't really want to do this. This was this guy's idea. We were just coming. And he just tried to play it down. I'm thinking, you ungrateful guy. This guy did all this so we could come, and now you're playing it down. Why? Because he's so concerned about what people think. Why? Because he's been presenting himself in a way that if you're a godly Christian, you won't do these worldly things. But he did them. And it's amazing the things that people are so against, and then the things that they allow, it all depends on where they're at. So Jesus isn't keeping their rules, their Sabbath, and so they say he's not a man of God. Others said, how can a sinner perform signs? If he wasn't from God, how come he's doing things that we can't do? Only God could do those kinds of things. So they turn again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. You tell us what you think of him. Now, why do you think they're asking him? Do they really want to know? What do they want to hear? They want him to support their view. Why would they expect that? Because of the power they wield over him. And they know it. Whenever someone starts wielding power to try and control people's reactions, something's wrong. And so they're wielding power over him saying, what do you think? We just told you what we think. Us, the leaders, we don't believe he's from God. He broke the Sabbath. We told you what we think. What do you think? And now he says he is a prophet. Remember, he was a man. Now he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind. Well, that wasn't the answer we wanted. So let's find out if he's lying. Let's find out if it's really the guy. Maybe Jesus and this guy are in cahoots. Maybe it's a trick. Maybe Jesus is a, a charlatan and he set this guy up. And he's playing us. So let's go and find out. And so they call his parents. Is this your son? Verse 19. The one you say was born blind, how is it that now he can see? Okay, if this was really your son, how come he can see now if he was born blind? They say, we know he's our son. We know he was born blind. How he sees and how who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. Threw me under the bus. Left it up to me. <clears throat> And it says that they said that because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. In effect, they would ask them, do you follow our rules? In other words, are you on our side? If you are, you're one of us. If not, 
then you're not of God and we don't have to love you. In fact, we have the power to label and excommunicate you. And they had immunized themselves against who Jesus really was. Because you're either with us or you're against us. And the man who would be excommunicated or cast out was shut off from the congregation. And there was two forms of excommunication. There would be one that was temporary, maybe for a month. And there was another one that would be for the rest of their life. And their whole society revolved around the worship at the temple. And so when you're excommunicated from the temple, you could actually lose or forfeit your job. They could bring that kind of condemnation on you because you are outcast. And so if they were kicked out of the synagogue, that was a big deal. It's not like, okay, I'll go to the other synagogue. It's kind of like, well, I got kicked out of this church. I just went to the next one. No, if you were kicked out of the synagogue in that town, you had no place where you could go. And in their minds, it was you were excommunicated from the worship of God. And so that's a big deal. Just like there are people who are told that unless you give us money, your loved ones are going to stay in purgatory, but we will pray them out for you. Give us this and we'll get you that. And so they use their position to control the people. It still happens. It still happens. Jesus warned his disciples that their names would be cast out for evil. He told them that they would be put out of the synagogues in chapter 16 of John. We're going to read that. And many of the rulers in Jerusalem really believed in Jesus, but were afraid to say so, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. John 12, 42, it says. And so this was a big deal. This was a lot of peer pressure. It was society was going to deem us in this way, and it was bad news. And, and so the, they don't want to do this. And so think of this. Their son can see now, and they have to say, we, we can't do anything about it. Man, think of what this religion is doing to this family. And that's why the parents said, ask him. A second time, they can't come and ask him, and they tell him, verse 24, give glory to God by telling the truth. That's not preemptive, is it? Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. Now tell us. What do you do with that? Okay. Give glory to God. We know he's a sinner. Now tell us. What are they doing? Again, they're trying to push him to say what they want him to say. And they're using their position and leverage to do that. Woe to people who use their position and leverage to get others to agree with them. He replied, Verse 25, whether he's a sinner or not, I do, don't know. One thing I do know, I was born blind, but now I see. We have to be, be, be very careful. If our religion holds us so tight that we can't loosen our grip to what is true. We'll hold on to our belief so much that what is true can't be seen because this is what I believe. And so many times I feel like Christians live in this fear, especially in the scientific community. Well, we, you know, Christianity and science are in conflict because we're afraid that we're going to pull some rock up and there's going to be some evidence that, oh no, that, you know, 
denies who Jesus is or denies the resurrection or somehow makes all my faith meaningless. And so this fear keeps us from even looking. But there should never be there should never be fear of the truth in a person of faith. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are committed to the truth. And there could not they could not loosen their grip on the because of the fear of the truth that was there. And so their view of what could and could not happen or be done on the Sabbath was blocked. They wouldn't rethink, well, maybe God can do a miracle on the Sabbath. No, our view is so strict, we can't see that happening. Are there any areas in our lives, in our faith, where we do the same thing? Where, no, 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 that's not, God can't do that. And the truth that God does do it, all of a sudden makes us have to step back. And do we hold, no, no, my truth doesn't allow that to happen. It can happen with us. They cannot give their interpretation of the law enough freedom to be modified, corrected, or improved. They could not allow themselves to see the truth in this new light. Otherwise, they risk the collapse of their whole invention. Their whole status would come crumbling down. The person whose faith is in God, however, can let the whole world disintegrate. They can let heaven and earth pass away without their heart and mind being shaken. I love this man's statement. Whether he was a sinner or not, I don't know. But I do know this. I was blind and now I see. If he was a sinner, I don't know. But I can see. How do you put those two together? I don't. I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter whether he was or wasn't. I can now see. That's the truth. They couldn't accept that. They couldn't embrace that. And so they asked him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Can you sense the frustration? This shouldn't be happening. He's not of God in our book. And so how can he do something that is so miraculous? So they asked him again, how did he do this? And by this time, this guy is saying, listen, I already told you. Do you want to hear it again? Verse 27, do you want to become his disciples too? Now, that is meant to be a little stab. Okay, He isn't just, oh, do you want to be his disciples? He's like, okay, because they already know. They called him a sinner. He's like, why do you want to find out? You want to be one of his disciples too? He's being ridiculous because they're being ridiculous. Like, you guys, come on. And so what do they do when they can't reason with him, when they can't find an argument that will discredit him? They hurled insults at him. Verse 28. Boy, does that happen a lot. Like kids. Like kids. Yeah. Yeah, just hurl insults. You know, I can't reason with you, but I can insult you. And isn't it amazing that when we get angry, even if it's in relationships that we have, maybe in in husbands and wives, I'm not saying you guys do this, I'm not admitting that I do this or occurring, but if there's a disagreement, what do we do? We just, uh, well, what about you? What about that time you did this? That was stupid. It's like that has nothing to do with this, but uh, okay, you hurled an insult and made me feel bad, and so I guess you feel better. Um, 
And that's all they could do. They hurled insults at him. I hear you couples laughing back there. We do that. When we have no ability to reason, we hurl insults. Why? Because we're threatened. We're threatened. They were threatened. You're this fellow's disciple. They've decided for him. You're his disciple. Why? Because you won't join us. And then we're going to build up ourselves. We're Moses' disciple. We know about Moses. We're going to solidify our religious argument, and we're going to hurl insults at you. We're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Again, that's being bringing accusations against Jesus' birth. Remember, they've discredited him. We don't know who your father is. You could be a Gentile. Talking about illegitimate birth that they've talked about. We don't know where he comes from. The man answered, that's remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he's opened my eyes. Here you guys are in charge. This guy, you don't know where he comes from, and yet look what he's done. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to a godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Pretty wise words from a blind guy. He's getting his... He's not backing down. And he has reason not to. I can see. What happens when our eyes are open spiritually and we see? There's no backing down. You're stupid for being a follower of Jesus. <laughs> you know what? I might be stupid, but man, I know that I was blind and I can see. I know the change that has happened in my life. I, I know that God has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. I, I'm not backing down. No one could do this unless it was of God. And so he holds his ground and they start off or they end where he started off or the disciples actually started off. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Forget the facts. Forget what we see before us. You were born in sin. That's why you were born blind. And they threw him out. So now he's excommunicated. He's kicked out of the synagogue. And 35 is probably my favorite verse in this whole chapter. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and then he found him. Jesus went and found him. I love that. I love that the heart of God is compassionate, that Jesus heard about this, and he didn't say, huh, that's a drag. He went and found him. It's interesting that the Jews cast him out of the temple, but the Lord of the temple found him. So as they kick him out, the one who really is the Lord of the temple searched him out. And the loyalty brings this revelation. And so as he's loyal to Jesus, Jesus comes to him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Again, this is a term of the Messiah. This is a messianic terminology. Do you believe in the Messiah? And he says, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And he knows he's referring to Jesus. And so we've gone from the man to the prophet to the Messiah. And Jesus said, you've seen him. 
you have, are you, Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Imagine that. Now the guy sees him because he didn't see him before. I heard his voice, you know, do this. Okay, I go, I go on now. Do you believe in the Messiah? Who is he? You've seen him. And then he sees the one who actually brought healing to him. Ah, oh, I just want to cry. I mean, it's just an emotional story. This is a this is a movie right here. This little chapter is just a movie. It's so emotionally beautiful. And as he now recognizes that this is the one who has healed him, this is Jesus, who he's just been defending. You've seen him. In fact, he's speaking to you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Say, oh, you need to worship in our temple, in our rules. And no, this man is actually in the presence of God, worshiping God. No temple, no rules, no religion. There is the relationship between he and God. And it couldn't be any closer. The one who was born blind, steeped in sin, whose sin, this man or his parents. No, God put this person in just the right place to encounter me that I could reveal glory in him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come to this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And so now we start seeing the whole point of this verse, the culmination. Judgment is past when we are confronted with the truth. If we see nothing desirable, nothing lovely in Jesus, if we see Jesus and desire nothing of what he has, then we condemn ourselves. We're saying we don't want what's true. We don't want what's beautiful. But if we see something that we desire and long to be in Jesus, then we become really aware of our blindness. That's what I want to be, so I am not yet that. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. For judgment I've come to this world so that the blind, those who recognize who I am and what they need, will see, but those who see will become blind. Those who already know it, have it figured out. This is what God is all about. I know all these things. They will become blind. And we need to be careful because that still happens today. If you think you know everything about God, oh my goodness, do you realize how arrogant that is? I mean, we know a lot of things revealed in Scripture, but to think you've got it all figured out, oh my goodness, we have to be careful that we don't become arrogant. And the Pharisees heard him and said, what, are we blind too? Yeah, that's what he's saying, right? And he says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. In other words, if you didn't recognize the truth, if you were oblivious to it, you wouldn't be guilty. But now you claim you can see and your guilt remains. Blind is a condition that Jesus can work with. If a blind person is willing to admit that they cannot see, then he can bring healing. Those who think they see aren't eligible for the miracle. For judgment, wherever Jesus went, a division occurred. It happens here. It happens throughout the gospel. In chapter 7, he talked about this. Chapter 10, he's going to talk about it, a vision again coming among the Jews because of these words. It's not a division between good people and bad people or right people and wrong people, but between those who do not see and those who do. Those who recognize their condition and those who deny their need of it. 
And so in this passage, Jesus brings home this point about judgment and about need and about being arrogant in our religious beliefs. And we need to watch out for that. If we think that only applies to them or the people in the past and don't see that that can repeat itself in our time, we're in trouble or we can be. Any questions or thoughts from this? Yes, Tim. Well, if you won't admit the, if you are unwilling to admit your need, then yeah, you know, God will oppose the proud. And so that pride will keep you in opposition against God. Yeah, pretty bold. Very cool. Alex, no? You're just waving to me? No? Yeah, the miracles that Jesus did in healing the blind were different. He didn't do the same thing every time. Probably because he knew we'd try and copy it. And so he's probably showing it. It's not, he'll do what's necessary for that person to bring about the results that needs to happen in our lives. Any other thoughts or questions, Tim? Well, by realizing it, I mean, if you find yourself being dogmatic, if you find yourself not being compassionate, you know, remember where this started off. Who sinned? This man, this this condition is there. We, we're seeing and putting people in a condition automatically, and we're kind of taking the equation of God out of it. You know, there are people like Paul. One day, Paul was out trying to kill Christians. The next day, he was one of them. There are people who are staunch atheists, and in a, a hour can change. And if you see that person as just, oh, no, you're far from God. You don't know this is who you are. And you start labeling something and putting someone in a condition that you don't see God able to reach them out. Well, I think it's good to encourage people to exercise. But that's not we're not talking about separation from God or not. We're not talking about what, you know, if you jaywalk, you go to hell. You know, I, you know, I don't think we're talking about that, right? Let me ask you this. Because I find this situation, and answer this to yourself, okay? Have you, has stopping listening to music or watching movies stopped you from doing those things that you thought they would? In other words, well, if I stop watching movies, I'll stop, say, lusting, okay? Yeah. Have you stopped lusting when you stop watching movies? Most people I know will say no if they're honest. Or I'm not going to go to the concerts because that music is worldly and it makes me think worldly. Well, you haven't gone to those concerts. Have you stopped thinking worldly? Probably not. It's probably more than that that needs to take place within us. Now, maybe those things need to stop in your life. Maybe it would be good for you to stop doing some of these things because they do bring momentum in a behavior, but that's a result. The core has to take place within us. Does that make sense? In other words, the stopping of those things has to begin with something that already starts in your heart. Don't think that the stopping of these things are going to change the heart. If your heart starts changing and you feel like, well, I want to stop doing that, that's one thing. But if you think you can't do that, otherwise this won't happen, then you've got the court cart before the horse. 
You're thinking that your actions are based on something outside of what's happening in your heart. And it always starts in the heart. Okay, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. You know, if a man's eye is whole, then his whole body is whole. What does that mean? If, if you're in the right position, you'll start living the right life. And that might mean stopping certain things, might mean stop doing certain things. But then don't place anyone who does those things in the same position as you. I, I think we're all like that, Tim. I think we all have that tendency to want to make ourselves feel better. And... Okay, well, that's a good thing. I'm glad you don't want to do that. But be aware of that. Be aware that sometimes we make ourselves feel better by putting other people down or it makes us feel good. Jesus is all about elevating others. Here is a man who everyone considered born in sin, and Jesus healed him. Find a person who is steeped in sin in your mind's eyes, and elevate that person and bring healing to them and see what happens. If you love those that only love you, Jesus says, what different are you than the people who are pagan? But if you love your enemy, those who despitefully use you, then you are my disciples because then you are seeing more in them than they're even seeing in themselves. And I think it's Christ's, heart to try and elevate those out of the places of darkness. And we don't elevate someone out of darkness by putting ourselves above them or by pointing out all the wrong that they do. You know, that's not helping them get out of that place. What we need to do is open their eyes so that they can see, you know. And in my experience, people have always been, no one likes being told they're wrong. No one likes being told that what you believe is foolish or stupid. I don't respond well to those kinds of things. I usually respond in like what they did. I get, you know, you're insulting me. I'm going to insult you back. I become defensive. I become closed. My mind goes into this kind of survival mode, and I'm just becoming, you know, I'm going to fight it out. But I'm not going to reason. And that never works well. You know, that's what the Pharisees were using. Their position, their authority, their ability to cause people to be fearful to obey them. And that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying to the person who's out in the world, who's living the life that the Pharisees considered sinful, and he tells them, you're the light of the world. The guy's going, me? You talking to me? I'm the light of the world? He goes, yeah, you're the light of the world. You see, Jesus was seeing the potential in them that they didn't see in themselves. He was trying to connect them to the God who created them, who they'd been separated from. And the Pharisees were going to make them jump through this hoop and this hoop and this hoop before they could get to this position. And that's why Jesus said, you make you know, disciples, but in the end they're twice the child of hell that you are yourself. Why? Because you didn't lead them to God at all. And so that's, you know, at the heart of what's happening here. And so if you find yourself, Tim, and we all do, don't condemn yourself, just be aware. If you find yourself in a place where you're belittling someone and their beliefs, you know, oh, that person, they, they're, they're not as godly as I am because they listen to KROQ or whatever station you listen to. 
they're not as godly because all I do is listen to, you know, that other I don't get, <laughs> can't even think of it. Stay. Air One, yeah. They're, they, I listen to Air One all day, or I listen to K-Wave all day, and they listen to, you know, KFI. You know, whatever it is. Don't, if, if that becomes... If that becomes your, <laughs> I had something for you, Alex, but I'll, I'll save it. Uh, <laughs> if that becomes your, you know, meter, and you find yourself thinking you're better than them, be aware of that, you know. And instead of that, well, that's great. You know, again, because I know, I know people who are who were very famous in the music business. And because I had a son who worked at a, a huge church where people would come and play, big-name people, and then he would see their behavior. And because I would put on concerts with well-named or well-known Christian artists, and I would see, well, this Christian artist is hitting on this girl, and he's married. Is his music glorifying God? Well, probably. I mean, the music was good. You know, but you see what I'm saying? It's like there, I can't judge, you know, if the music is great and it's giving, you know, glory to God, that's great. You can get something out of it, but there's more that's going on. You know, we look at, oh, this person's godly. No, this guy is a scum. He's hitting on this girl and he's married. And he calls himself a Christian, plays in a Christian band. Exactly. And so, but then you have someone who isn't in a Christian band who's playing, you know, a different kind of music and maybe it doesn't have Jesus' name in it, but it's not bad music. Maybe it's just a good song and that guy's actually trying to live a good life and he might be closer to God than this guy who's in the Christian band. And so whose music is closer to God? That's good, Tim. I'm not telling you, don't, hey, listen, you know, go out and do whatever. I, it's good that you want to protect yourself, and it's good that you're aware of those things. But don't see yourself as better than or see someone as better than if they do or don't do those things. Don't position a person's relationship with God on external things when you don't know the heart. Okay? And I guess that's kind of at the heart of this whole conversation. We all make judgments, Tim. We all make judgments. Well, you know, you're, when you come into a room, you make judgments immediately. You, you have in your minds who that person is, what you think of that person. You will like or dislike a person in a second. And it might, you might guard yourself and say, well, I'm not going to be mean to them because that wouldn't be good, and get to know them and befriend them. But, I mean, Corrine and I would not name our children certain things because of names that we had from our history. It's like, I hated that guy. I'm not going to name my kid this person because of that name. And so I hear someone with this name, and immediately my mind goes to the sixth grade bully. You know, and I have judgment in my mind because your name is wrong. You know, we all make judgments. And so it's what you do after that that brings out the clarity. Corrine. Yeah, I mean, if, if you carry out that thought into something that brings about a detrimental interaction or continued detrimental thinking about that person, then you've got problems. Yeah, you, know. you, start yeah you start making that and motivating it, and pretty soon that dominates you know, even your behavior. And so pretty soon you're acting on your thinking, right? And because you've allowed your thinking to continue in that way. And then it starts coming out of the things that you say, you know, and so... Good point. All right, are there any other questions? Okay, let's pray.
Father, I love this story. I love this chapter. And there's so much for me to look at and to take into account and take stock in my own heart, my own attitudes, my own mind. Father, that I would not become pharisaical in my thinking, that I would not become so judgmental and seeing myself above anyone or relegating someone to a position that is demeaning to them just because of how I feel about them. Lord, there are people who we would consider in steeped in sin who are about to encounter you and worship you in a way that is closer than those who are in the temple. And God, may we make room for that in our lives. May we make room for that in our community here at Genesis. May this be a place where people know that they can come in whatever condition they are and find friends, people who love them and see them as the light of the world. Lord, you were trying to reach the Pharisees just as you were reaching out to this blind man. God, your heart is for everyone. May our hearts be the same. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.